0: Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy, joined again this week by Liam O'Brien. Liam, uh, great, how are things?
1: Great, Mark. How are we getting
0: on? Yeah, good. Very good now. Six Nations nearly upon us, but suppose we have to review last weekend all the European action from the four provinces to lose Munster, but we'll also have a look at Leinster, Ulster and Connacht in action. The Munster rugby Benetton rugby game in Treviso could be a tough game for Munster given the record of Benetton uh, this season at home also we'll have a look at Six Nations and some contract news or rumours going on around the Irish provinces I suppose Liam we'll start first with European Cup to lose in Munster uh, what was your overall reactions to the game
1: yeah look I mean you'd have to be kind of um very proud of that performance defensively Colossal in that first 25 minutes, when you know it, again it was one of those kind of inevitable times where we were we were going to get a heavy defeat. But no, we we struck at it. We came back in the the final 10 minutes of that first half, um, hardening it with a try, and from then on, really there was nothing in it. And and actually. We ended up, you know, at half time just a few points down, and 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 in the second half it was to and fro. Uh, the lead changed hands a number of times, but I mean, I suppose just to go, to go back to, to to the start there, yeah, Toulouse did very well in in the first uh, eight minutes there. They had got a a, um, a penalty from Jaminet, who like just for, from 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 first moment when he when he gathered the ball, um, he was on top form as a as a player, so. Then of course when Malia getting a, a try to over the top ball um, and and yeah so the, so that was a very powerful start
0: certainly was it was the early onslaught that we probably we previewed last weekend just that Munster had to be prepared for that onslaught and to be fair there's certain respect talking about it but then being in actual action I thought the breakdown work for Toulouse was pretty superb. Quick ruck ball there for DuPont and Tamak as well to really release their uh, players. But again, Jaminet's boot, it's going to be so vital here for both Toulouse and also France, I would say, this year. He got the radar in straight away after a minute, uh, as you say. Then given away by Peter O'Malley, pinged that to break down. Is Troy, I mean, I think that's just result of kind of concerted pressure, I would say, from Toulouse, isn't it, uh, Liam? To be fair, I mean, there's nothing really that Munster could do there in that situation.
1: No, yeah, but I mean, I mean, before that, if we think back, before that, Munster actually got a, a penalty, um, for an offside and diving the ball, and Carberry give a good kick down the line, and scanning over the ball. So mm. I mean, I mean, kind of, we were kind of um soldiers of our own misfortune, uh, in our in in a way, you know what I mean? Because that 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 uh was only a few minutes before that. But yeah, look, I mean, look, they went eight nil up. And it was it was certainly looking ominous at that at that stage, um. But the the one thing I will say, even at the in the and 20 in that ten twenty minute back, the scrum held up very well for Munster. So John Ryan was immense. I mean, he he had it in the scrum, right? and with, there was no no worries about about Munster in the scrum. I suppose also it, it was poor Munster passing too. I mean, we weren't quite you know. Uh, on our five meter line we you know we we, but we were getting into their into our twenty two and our passing was letting us down and kind of you know letting them off the hook as well Marshawn of course was tremendous as well i thought he hit a, a tremendous game um at the at the breakdown um i thought i thought Arnold there again that first twenty minutes was absolutely colossal and then of course we had the 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 hits there i think it was a twenty six minute some massive hits from either side actually
0: Oh my word. <laughs> it was classic club rugby, wasn't it? Uh, and some of the hits that went in. I mean, I think Byrne Freesh. Uh, you know, there were some great hits coming in from Munster. But I suppose the Richie Arnold hit has been getting an awful lot of coverage post the game. Maybe it was selective TV replaying from a French production TV perspective. But what was your view on that, the Richie Arnold hit on uh, Joey Carberry? That could have been a fundamental game changer if that had gone to TMO.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that, they, that initially, as I said, those three massive hits all came in the space of two minutes, and I think that maybe that might have been one of the ways that the referee just missed out on um, on on seeing that hit. But I mean, I mean, Arnold, he came out of line quickly, right, and he went full on shoulder to Carberry's head and. It was like sending off, you know, (laughs) it wasn't even going to be a yellow. It was going to be a a straight sending off. And I suppose when you compare that, right? And the fact that there was the TMO or or no one, you know, alluded to it. And then later on for Munster, we had a a different thing where where Munster's yellow. It was the TMO called to the ref. So, I mean, there was certainly a different treatment there on both those occasions.
0: Absolutely, and I suppose we can get to that healy yellow card in due course, but I suppose it was a tough, topsy-turvy opening half an hour from Munster. By this stage, uh, Mike Healy had to go off with the ankle injury, Malachi Ficoteau had come on at centre, Jack Crowley moving to full-back. But to be fair, as you've said here, uh, Liam, getting back in the game on 30 minutes with that John Hodnett uh, score, you know, after a series of very impressive drives,
1: Oh, yeah, he uh, and, and and you know what, he's, he's quite, you know, he, he's not a big man, to be fair, John Hodnett, but by God, he can carry the ball. He really is a, quite a powerful ball carrier. Hodnett with Klein, massive latch on there, absolutely massive. Uh, <laughs> it should be done a lot more, Klein <laughs> latching on to lads, you know what I mean, for scoring tries. That that would certainly do the job as well. But I suppose, look, then we had um, Carberry miss with the conversion there. With the two points.
0: But yeah, no, totally agree. I mean, it, it, it was a great effort off uh, John Hodnett, John Klein. top of the pack, was superb there. And uh, in fairness to Carberry, after that conversion miss, you know he nails uh, the penalty there, Tyburn. Great um, great play there as well um, to win that uh, penalty. So, to be fair, it was all in the melting pot here, uh, uh going in at half time. Munster, I suppose, much the happier the two sides, I think, given how things have gone in that last 10 minutes, and we continued it uh, in the second half.
1: Fekatoa made a, a great burst in a, in, in, at the beginning of the second half. Then he had a great run off a of scrum there, um, so he, he, was very, he was very much to the fore. But yeah, I mean, look, 48 minutes, uh, probably the best, I think, I, I was fair to say, Munster try scored in European competition since uh, Ronald Gary in Bordeaux. Yeah. Back in the early thousand, two thousand, yeah, I would have to say that. Like, I mean, the whole build up, the whole Fekitoa one hand <laughs> out of the out of the, out of, the, out of tackle, um, onto Coombs, again, out of the tackle one hand, and onto Daly Casey, who flew down the line and just was unlucky to get um the spot up. He was unlucky to, to to get stopped there, and then it, it culminated in Carberry kicking across to the right-hand corner, Hodnett coming in field, then it's Nash and beautiful line from Byrne. So an un- incredible try, really. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of secretly imagine some of the Toulouse players actually saying, well done, you know. <laughs> that was a, be- a try of beauty, you know. <laughs> I think
0: so. I think there was really a stunned silence around the Irish on, particularly with the home faithful. I think they would have been expecting something very similar from their side but for munster to produce this i think really shows the devolution of the attacking game plan when they can get it right i thought it was very quick incisive offloading that was key here but i have to say you've touched on it Malakai fikatoa i'm delighted for him i thought yeah. that was a very prominent performance coming off the bench i thought he's direct line running caused to lose no end of problems all day and you know looking to offload at every given point and i think this I think is the template. I think this is the blueprint here to really engage Fekitoa. and it's just now the little cohesion issues around the offload for supporting line runners to really support Fekitoa when he's ball in hand because he's a powerful unit.
1: He he is absolutely, and as I said, look, he was very prominent in the I suppose that first ten minutes, second half, in particular, and, and showing what he's capable of doing, but um. You know, I mean, I suppose, look, we had initially another this conversion missed by by Carberry. Um, that's four points missed. And immediately, it was very succinct that um, on immediately comes Healy for Joey Carberry. So that's that's quite um, clear. Yeah, so, I mean, at that stage then, Jamini got a penalty to bring it back to 14-13 lead. Then, I suppose... We had Healy getting a, a nice penalty, 14 16, Murray coming on. I suppose, really, the, the, the thing for me was the, the Healy yellow. Yeah. I mean, you know, lead with the hand, I, I would have to call it and say, probably for me, a, a definite yellow. And again, not on not the severe side. I mean, like, you, you know, I mean, nothing like that, but it was, it was definitely yellow.
0: I think with the laws of the game, I cast my mind back to when both uh, against Saracens in Tottenham Park a few seasons ago, he got sent off for a few forearms, didn't he, right at the end of the, of that Champions Cup game in Tolan Park, so, I mean, it's harsh but you consider that to Richie Arnold hit here, but I think to be fair, it's um the rules of the game here, and uh, Timo was fairly quick to spot it. No, I mean, yeah,
1: again, though, again, as I said, we started this. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's amazing that she, what was able to spot that, isn't it? <laughs> but didn't spot the Arnold incident, but anyway,
0: exactly. You know, but that, that's another day entirely, and I think maybe casts a bit of a question mark in terms of television footage going into a World Cup 2023 uh, for getting selective angles on certain incidents. I think that's set in a that very de- just precedent, so. I think more to follow there. I think World Rugby probably need to talk to French rugby organisers on that but I mean after 68 minutes I mean effectively again it's Toulouse kind of going through phases here again and Jamini again having the final say kicking his fifth penalty here to kind of extend it out to 2016 and I suppose despite Munster's best efforts here there was a few handling errors. Also, the scrumaging here that you had lauded at the start here, rallying was starting to creak ever so slightly. Like, Toulouse were kind of on the up uh, on Munster's line right at the end. Um, so, again, I think, as you said, the sin bin was probably a key kind of event there that really did close out the game.
1: Okay, effectively, we played the last 10 minutes uh, with, with 14, 14 lads. And also, as you alluded to, it, in terms of the scrum getting on top, it just so happened that John Ryan left and Roman Salanoa came on for that that, that I suppose the, the crucial Chamanay points to bring up to 2016 um when Toulouse absolutely destroyed our scrum. Um and 20, yeah twenty sixteen. As you said, look, they they were camped on our line in the last in the last two minutes as well. I think overall was it a game that we that we could have won? Yes, it, it certainly was. But at the same time, too. You know, It's a game that, that possibly uh, at certain points, like in the first 20 minutes or or like at the, at the end, that we could have come away with, with, with nothing. So, I mean, overall, we all wanted to get that basic losing bonus point. That's realistically what we were all thinking could happen and, and did. I think we're very happy to take it.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty happy to take it, given the circumstances, particularly in the first 30 minutes, uh, Lin, We were under the pump complete, completely. I mean, there's no getting around it. I mean... And maybe it's a learning for the Munster team going into a last 16 on the road. You know, they have to start these games completely on the money. Otherwise, if you're giving teams of the calibre of Toulouse 11 points advantages here, despite the best efforts, winning the contest two tries to one, give it the uphill task to, you know, secure these wins. And I suppose the other learning coming off this now is on games of this magnitude where fine margins are so minute, Who's the Munster Rugby place kicker going forward? We have Carberry. We have Jack Crowley. There's Ben Healy there as well. So I'd be fascinated to see this 10 battle here. I mean, realistically, I suppose Healy probably getting minimal game time now. It's probably between Crowley and Carberry. But I suppose the question here, Liam, is place kicking in these key games, you need to be nailing it. And we saw the case study with Jaminet in terms of nailing his kicks. I think he went five for six. I mean these are the fine margins here. we lose by four, but I mean it's maybe a harsh reality here that Munster do have to kind of focus a little bit on their place kicking here
1: but i mean, I suppose look i mean I mean Crowley at the very least will probably be playing, playing at, at twelve, so he will be probably taking the kicks from now on I think that's just that's just the way it's going to be um, as I said look Healy will probably be more of a bench bench impact player if he doesn't come back from the from the Six nations. Yeah, Carberry, you know, I think he's just confident again, gets low at times, and particularly it affects his place kicking. Now, I know you could say with some of those uh, conversion misses, they weren't that far off, but at the end of the day, a miss is a miss in a crucial game, in a tight game.
0: Yeah, and you'd wonder with that hit from Richie Arnold as well, did that have any impact in terms of his place kicking? Because for me, Carberry's place kicking has been one of his core strengths in terms of his... um in terms of his place kicking, has been usually exemplary. So I think that might have played a factor here, Name, uh, I really do. And I think, to be fair to Joey Carberry, now it's just a case of regrouping, reflecting on things. So we're going to talk about this Ireland Six Nations squad in a few minutes. But, I mean, for Carberry, it's just a case of ducking down, training hard here and really rebuilding uh, the confidence, really. But I think it's a, it's a live battle here in terms of the 10 jersey for the rest of the season and going into the, the playoffs. But um, I suppose, name with that, I, I think it was a great performance, to be f- fair to Munster. I think we asked Munster to deliver the performance. And to be fair, uh, competed. And again, a loser bonus point is showing progression. But again, it's these key learnings. You know, it's all well and good to laud about the 49-minute try. But again, there needs to be progression here that we need to get on the other side. Of the victory here on these tight margin games i'm thinking of leinster will be here particularly as well there's been a few near misses this season so i think it's just a case of the team really learning from these and coming forward uh, a bit more uh to kind of get over the line on these tight games i suppose team can i get your viewpoint in terms of ulster leinster as well i mean leinster got a stern test against racing 92 before kind of blowing uh the game wide open on that 36 10 win at the viva and Ulster uh, claiming a, a good victory over Sale Sharks, a much-needed win at the Kingspan. I suppose you watched the Ulster Rugby-Sale Sharks game. I suppose your reaction to that?
1: Look, I mean, I mean Ulster, at the, end of, at the end of the day, if you look at, if you look at a scoreboard it's it's 22-11, you think, wow, that's, that's comfortable. But, of course, it was far from comfortable in that game because, actually, Sale started the, the game in, in the, the better way. It went 3 nil up. And I suppose the the first 10 minutes was all Sale. So, I mean, then we had a um, a yellow card for Sale in the 16th minute, and I think that was quite crucial, because about three or four minutes later, we had Rob Little going over after an overtopped ball to to, to get them going in 5-3, and Sale responding with a penalty. And I to be fair to him, had his kicking boots on that day, you know, and pe- penalty. So half time was eight six, you know, all in the melted pot. But to be fair, Ulster came out and scored through crucial tries in the second half. I suppose Vermulen's try in the seventy-seventh minute it got it out to what it was like nine points, twenty points to eleven. That was that was the, the crucial uh, the crucial try. Um so I think Ulster would be would be quite happy that in a, in a key European game they were able to put in a good performance.
0: Completely agree there, I think the pleasing aspect for me for Ulster was how they finished the game in that last quarter, you know, the impact subs that came and delivered, uh, yeah. which was very pleasing. I thought the fact that Vermeulen's try, I think that was a key one, good feel and sense relief around Kingspan once that try went over, two-score game, They were never coming back into it. But before then, it got increasingly nervy, particularly in that third quarter. So, I think all credit to Ulster; It's been a very dodgy, rocky patch for them in the season. And you'd hope, just based on this 22-11 result, that this galvanised the squad, it galvanised management and the supporters, and propels them on uh, for the rest of the season. I mean, for Sales Sharks, um, I still think that 14-player shift that they put in against Toulouse did probably have an effect, particularly at the end they were a little bit weary at the end. Creativity was pretty much dried up in the last 10 minutes. But I take nothing away from Ulster Rugby. I thought it was just a you know, a real backs against the world performance because that's what it required. I mean, the season was pretty much on the line. If they lost this one, uh, Liam, heaven knows what the implications for URC action this weekend. So, I mean, they needed to win. They got the results. And sure, look, they're in the big dance last 16. That's given their... 39 nil loss to sale at the start of this pool phase. I think they would happily grab that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And as I said, look, the season kind of ha- has in the in the past two weeks suddenly have they've also have got it back on board, you know, even though, okay, losing to La Rochelle, but the manner of the performance was key there. And then to back it up a week later with a, with a, um, a more definite sort of result. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, Ulster will go to Leinster. They certainly will put in a, a good performance, I think, and, and, and give Leinster a real game of it. Yeah, I mean, look, the season's on for them. And, and and then again, coming coming into the URC, their confidence is up, for sure.
0: Exactly, because, I mean, we can go to Leinster Rugby. I mean, we said last week that Racing 92 would come over. There would be motivation after that Le Havre lost to Leinster and certainly approved for 65 minutes here, Liam it was a very combative performance from Racing 92, um, very aggressive defensive line speed, putting Rossburn particularly under pressure at 10. Also the pack were under pressure from Leinster. Again, that defensive mall is going to be something that needs to be very quickly addressed from a Leinster rugby perspective, but Leinster found a way, didn't they, particularly in the last quarter to really split this game open and we talk about stern test but they still scored six tries in the 36-10 win over Racing 92. I suppose your thoughts after that game?
1: Certainly, it seemed that that, um, the the Jamie Osborne-Gary Ringrose partnership at Centre is really kicking off. And I I know it it was definitely the performance of a lifetime from Gary Ringrose, but it also, I suppose, highlighted that Osborne is the, the leading contender to partner him in the Six Nations.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you there on Osborne. Now, again, I think it was a nice test for Osborne thought uh, Racing 92 really did try to target Osborne defensively. He stood up to it. But again, creativity-wise, along with Ring Rose, I think Ring Rose takes an awful lot of plaudits in terms of he's linking up play, some assists. He scores two tries as well. But again, that is a nice three-quarters combination here, leading into Six Nations. I suppose would Andy Farrell be so bold to actually put Jamie Osborne in in a debut in the Principality Stadium against Wales?
1: Well, I I think
0: uh, kind of why would why
1: wouldn't you really? I, I suppose look when you've got that experience all surrounding you, it's kind of one of those things where he can't not but succeed, you know, in a, in, in in a way on his debut. He is the leading light. He's been the leading centre of of the, the new and upcoming players, players since that emerging Ireland tour. He's backed it up all the step it away. Look, I mean, with the situation with McCluskey, where he's not quite, you know, uh, going at the moment to, to be a, a first choice for Ulster, where Aki is, is 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 out of the picture, where Henshaw is is basically injured and just come back from injury, and where we have Crowley playing 12 for Munster. So, look, it's a no-brainer to me.
0: Yeah, it kind of sounds like it when you describe it in that terms anyway, uh, Liam. It'll be fascinating to see that Ireland three-quarters selection definitely um, but I mean, he's in form. You know, his stats in the last few weeks have kind of backed it up in terms of European Cup action. He, he's cohesion with ring roles improving every week. So, yeah, probably his 12 13 Leinster tandem there. And it's really up for, like, say Henshaw and McCluskey Reach really, to kind of fight for their jersey when they come back. So, uh, but I suppose, Lean, like, getting to the defensive side of the ball for Leinster, I thought it was two great tries from Racing Nights 2. Uh, first one, from uh, Tarith, um in the opening period really did expose Leinster again from a defensive maul perspective, and then you had Christian Wade with a very nice sweeping move for a try. So I suppose there's little elements here for Leinster rugby, and maybe the scrum uh, scrummaging as well, maybe kind of exposed once or twice as well. So for teams eyeing up Leinster, there's probably scope to exploit maybe come March April.
1: It, it certainly seems to be a point. In terms of getting at Munster, at Leinster, shall we say one of the few kind of outlets, and it it certainly is wanting to be exploited by Ulster. I mean, I mean they they have the capability of of all the teams <laughs> with with their powerful carriers and and the way they they they're you know whether whether it's Herring or whether it's Stewart. I mean they have the guys coming around the back there who can, who can carry and mull themselves or the line, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's going to have to be full-on aggressive line speed from Ulster in that last 16th contest. Will it be in the RDS? Will that be in the Aviva? Who who knows? But I think from uh, Ulster's perspective they're well capable of executing a good defensive line speed game plan, putting pressure on either Sexton or Ross Byrne. Uh, They've seen historically they've run Leinster close. I know the RDS in November was a little bit of a banana skin but again look at the opening period they really had Leinster in sixes and seven. so I think um, there's plenty of motivation for Ulster and I wouldn't necessarily rule them out here and given it an attritional six nations campaign who knows what the Leinster team might be so I think from that perspective I think Ulster they're in the big dance last 16 mission accomplished so I think from their perspective I think they have nothing to lose going down to Dublin I honestly don't and I think a good performance might ensue there I suppose we can move on to the Challenge Cup here as well, uh, Liam, from an Irish province perspective. We talked gloingly about Connacht Rugby here, travelling to Kingston Park, Newcastle Falcons with nothing to play for. But the one lesson (laughs) in Europe is don't give opposition that have nothing to play for oxygen. And when I mean oxygen, early scores. And to be 21-0 down after 20 minutes, Liam... I think there's a plenty okay. of soul searching having to go on in that Connacht Rugby clubhouse. Uh, again, it was a glorious opportunity to secure a home field advantage, given that Bristol Rugby or Bristol Bears were deducted points for filling in an eligible player, but didn't get the job done. I suppose, what what's your thoughts in terms of Connacht Rugby and where their season's headed?
1: Yeah, well, where where is it headed? It's headed, to be frank about it, uh, to be an early exit. Because Benetton, I mean... While we're playing them next week and we're all oh yeah we're very confident they're out without 15 players international players of Italy, I mean when they're all back Benetton are as good as any team in Europe at home, and they have as good a home record, so I mean you're looking at Connacht potentially losing to um, Benetton, and then what? I mean they're already pretty much out of it in terms of the URC, so it's it's uh, yeah it's a very delicate situation now. Again, you know, no to appear. Um, and when you leave the likes of John Porch um, at home, uh, you have to question the whole selection policy and just what's, what's going on there. I mean, the squad
0: that went over here, Liam, was more than capable of beating the, the Newcastle Falcons. This is no disrespect to the Falcons, but I mean, to be fair, you're looking at the, the back line. You've Matt Hansen at 15, Adam Byrne, Brian Ralston... Cahill Ford, Alex Watton, Conor Fitzgerald, Colum Riley in at nine, uh, Dennis Buckley, Delahunt, Bielham, Fafita, Josh Murphy, Hurley Langton, Conor Oliver and Jared Butler. No respect here, Lean. I think it's just attitude on the day, to be fair. I mean, you can't be given teams as I say, Newcastle Falcons the oxygen here and certainly that's how it proved. I mean, you don't expect to win a game when you're 21 nil down and I mean, I think this is a harsh lesson for Connacht Rugby in terms of preparation. I don't know what may have gone on in terms of preparation here, but I mean, this was a key game for Connacht Rugby in the context of their season. They may not admit it, but I thought the Challenge Cup was their kind of outlet, their gateway here to get Champions Cup qualification. And, you know, to not secure home field advantage here, it's, it's desperately disappointing here, given the performance that they put in, particularly against Bre- previous weekend.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, to actually, you know, give one of the performances of the season in, in the Challenge Cup, uh, one week, and then to come out and give maybe the worst performance of the weekend across the Challenge Cup the following week, is it just that it's kind of like for Andy Friend, is he just kind of winding down the season At this stage? I'm not too sure. For Connacht fans, it must be kind of kind of worrying that the season is kind of petering out. essentially.
0: I know there was a series of contract renewals last week before the Newcastle Falcon game to probably create a feel good factor around and hoping for a good result. But the fact of the matter is they've lost. They're on the road. We'll talk about Benetton rugby in a little bit here. But um fact of the matter is the back three for Newcastle Falcons combined for 165 metres uh, during the 80 minutes. And to be perfectly honest, that's that's just telling the tale of the tape here. Too many opportunities for Newcastle Falcons here. There's too many line breaks. Now, Finlay Beelham has to be duly noted here. A hat-trick of tries here. You could do no more. But uh, I think, to be fair, uh, I think this has to go on. Both management and players here uh, who were on duty last weekend, it's just, I think it's one of the low points for the season for Connacht rugby, I seriously do. And they do have the Lions coming to sports ground this weekend coming. And to be perfectly fair, Lions with a full-strength squad, they showed their potency against Munster. I think this is could be one of these games here for Connacht Rugby that if they're not careful here, Lions could actually pull up a, a road trip win.
1: Yeah, and again, uh, this is this is a crucial part of the season. You think know, about this is kind of the crucial part of the season. And the South African teams are going to be pretty much full strength. Um with no Six Nations involvement. So yeah, I mean I think I think you'd be kind of back in the Lions to to get the win there, and that really does put the the kibosh completely on Con getting into the ORC this season.
0: Yeah, because the rumours are circulating again here, Liam. I don't know where they're coming from. Bundy Akai and his long-term future with Connick Rugby has been called into doubt. Now, Connick Rugby have issued a statement to speak, Confident, and that's the key word, confident, that Bundy will be a Connick player next season. But where is his likely destinations here, Liam? I mean, this circulated a few years ago, but... I heard Munster rugby's name mentioned, but I don't think Munster are probably in the market.
1: The only thing is, Mark, he is centrally contracted. So, I mean, the IRFU would have to, if they want to let him go, it, they'd have to basically also pay him off it, it, the last year of his central contract. So this, this, you know, this is essentially the RFU finding him a home somewhere else if he doesn't want to be at Connacht, or if Connacht, more to the point, I'd say, more don't want him, which is quite clear. So his choice would be simply to go to Ulster or to Munster. Um, potentially, even if those two teams don't really want him in their squad. I think three years ago, we would have hit the arm off to have someone like him. It's actually what we're looking for. But right now, I don't think that he fits Munster's game plan at all, when we actually want to play some really good rugby. Yeah. Backs and, and forwards combining. So it's, it's, it, it would be a backward step for us to get a guy... Like him, um, and we have other positions to fill, I guess.
0: Yeah, because to be fair to Colin Ruby management, they're based on form. And the fact it is, like, so Carl Ford has come in. I mean, he was in the Emerging Iron Tour. We repeatedly mentioned this Emerging Iron Tour on players that have progressed and gone to the next level. And Carl Ford, being one of those guys, you know, he's come in and has impressed and has kept his spot. I mean, Tom Daly, you've Farrell as well. So, I mean, for Bundy's perspective, he's not budging these guys at the moment. Um, Byron Ralston played uh, at the weekend as well at three quarters. So there's something definitely amiss here. I, I, I agree with you. I think Munster's rugby's tacking play ethos, the combination of backs and forwards, that dynamic ball handling that we saw in the 49th minute for Ty Burns, Troy is Bundy really fitting into that style of play. I think not. And I think to be fair, uh, there's uh, probably plenty to come out of this in the next week or two, um, just in terms of what's happening with his Connacht rugby situation, because I was surprised that he didn't travel to Kingston Park for the game against Newcastle Falcons purely because of lack of game time. And because he's been selected to a Six Nations Ireland squad, he surely should have been getting some game in it. So I think there's plenty, plenty to go in terms of this player link. And this statement from Connacht rugby is really adding fuel to the flames here uh, in terms of player speculation. So I think it's a, it's an interesting one. And I, I just wonder here in terms of Munster personnel, is there something afoot here in terms of maybe Chris Farrell? He's had an lengthy absence from Munster Rugby. I don't know. I think there's probably news in the offing here in terms of personnel here as well for Munster. This is the time of year when contract renewals and departures are announced. So all to follow there. But I suppose, Liam, kind of going back to the Champions Cup, and Challenge Cup, like the Champions Cup in the last sixteen. Any real fixtures there catching your eye uh, right now?
1: Challenge Cup. Well, I mean, but and Connacht, in a way is is going to be an absolute cracking game, I've absolutely no doubt about that. But um, yeah, I'd have to say probably the Lions at home to to Racing. That's quite an intriguing tie to me. Um that's going to be uh, just a, a, a another free-flowing game, I think Racing at the same time, can actually kind of pull in that that, um, free-flowing game of the Lions, pick up a win in in South Africa. I think that can happen.
0: Yeah, I think there's some intriguing games. The Bristol Bears came on a foreign game. May not kind of catch people's attention, but I think this is a real key game for both teams, given where they sit in their respective domestic leagues. I think it's a season-defining game for either of them. Um, Again, Bristol really struggling in the Gallery Premiership. Claremont are vying just about for a playoff spot at the moment. But again, there's a pathway to Champions Cup here. I think both teams with something to prove there. And also Cardiff Rugby, Sale Sharks. Now, provided Cardiff Rugby can stabilise their form, because their form has fallen off a cliff in the last few weeks here, Liam. And they're a club that we kind of really do rate in terms of their squad. But it's been tested at the moment. That brief performance I thought was a bit of a surprise and wake up call. But they play Sale Sharks in Cardiff as well. I think that will be a very much a free flowing game as well. Um, there's a few, I think. I hate to say it, a few blowouts here. I think Toulon Cheetahs, Toulon should get the job done there. Glasgow Warriors, Dragons, I would be strongly favouring Glasgow. And then Scarlets Brieve. like it shows everything that's wrong with the uh, Challenge Cup when Breve got in. (laughs) But the skin of their teeth to play Scarlets who are top seeds. I would expect Scarlets to probably win. Breve probably no interest whatsoever in this competition, so... I think that there's plenty of fixtures there, as we've called out here, that will probably provide some great entertainment for the rugby neutral here uh, come end of March. But I suppose Champions Cup as well here, the last 16, Munster travelling to Durban to the Sharks, one of the standouts. Yeah. What? Yeah, I mean, what's your initial thoughts on that uh, fixture for Munster rugby? I mean, it's daunting in terms of the pack, but not impossible.
1: In terms of Durban, it, it's kind of a, a very wet, humid place. So it could be, a if it's a, a wet day, It'll just become a real ding dong battle, and um, I think, to be honest, I, I mean, I prefer to go to the Sharks than I would say to Pretoria or to go to Cape Town to face the Stormers. You know, yeah, that's that's for, that's for certain. So I think the draw for us is is quite good. It gives us a reasonable chance of uh, coming through, and um, because the only other result I see as a potential away win would be Edinburgh. Um, at Leicester who just by losing their coaching structure they've lost complete shape as well and uh, very very doable as well there.
0: Again we know all needs to know about Sharks. I thought Sharks and the Harlequins at the Stoop was a magnificent fixture there last weekend. Probably a standout fixture really. Uh, Munster and Toulouse was very exciting as well but I think for just sheer entertainment for tries and quality of game I thought uh, Quinn's Sharks was brilliant and I mean Ebenethabed, uh, you know, the pack platform there is going to be a big challenge for Munster. But Munster have risen to the challenge here in terms to lose. And Sharks do give you opportunities here, I mean, There's no consistency I see in terms of a full eighty minute performance from the Sharks this season. I think Munster will run Sharks very close here. And again, Munster learning all the time, evolving all the time. Wouldn't it all surprise me if Munster were to pull off a win in Durban, seriously do. I mean, there's a few blowouts here. I'm looking at La Rochelle, Gloucester straight away. I don't fancy Gloucester's prospects, given how, what Leinster Rugby did to Gloucester in this pool stage. Uh, I think that's kind of one. And I think to lose Bulls as well is probably another one where to lose probably will be strongly favoured. The only other t- game that I really kind of see here is Storm Harlequins. Uh I think that'll be a fantastic game on the Cape. Uh, just in terms of Harlequins' style of play, Versus the Stormers, who delivered some sensational tries in that thirty, thirty fourteen win over Claremont in the second half. So I think there'll be plenty of fireworks in that one.
1: Yeah, and and even I mean I mean a good old fashioned you know forward orientated game will be Exeter at home against Mont- Montpellier. So that would that would be one for the traditionalists for sure. Oh, I love it.
0: No, the platform will be amazing in that one. Provided Montpellier, and I'd say Montpellier will bring a strong team over. Given that it's the big dance, last 16, I think they'll be fairly keyed up. Um, Exeter, you know, they went through the motions, I think, a little bit against Cast at the weekend. But Montpellier with their packed platform. But they've been very inconsistently. The 21 all draw against London Irish, that was the surprise result for me uh, last weekend. Credit London Irish for pulling out that result. But I thought Montpellier were a little bit better than that, to be perfectly fair. They're going to have to step it up remarkably well in Sandy Park to really compete with Exeter. But I suppose we're kind of getting into the end of March here. So form lines could fluctuate pretty quickly. Leicester and, yeah, Edinburgh we talked about. Saracens, Ospreys as well in the last 16. And all credit to Ospreys pulling off that result in Welford Road. But I think it might be a different beast against the Saracens. Do you give any chance here to Ospreys? Pull up an upset here against the Saracens?
1: You know, I I I I think Saracens, will, you know, will get a good start, and uh, then the Ospreys won't be able to catch up. And you know, look, the Ospreys they've had an absolutely excellent uh, season in in Europe, but I I would certainly think Saracens will, will come true there. Um, I suppose look, and the the last game we didn't mention was Toulouse against the Bulls, which is quite intriguing, for sure. I I still think of the teams that I've seen so far. You know, obviously Munster have been with Toulouse in those in those two games, but Toulouse to me look as good as being up there, in my view, with uh, Leinster and uh the Stormers so far.
0: I'm just looking at the Bulls home or road record this year in Europe. I'm just thinking particularly about their trip to Sandy Park in Exeter where they got blown away uh, by Exeter Chiefs. And I think this is maybe a little step up from that. Now... A lot to be said in terms of Bulls. There might be personnel issue additions here. They'll need it because I think to lose, let's say if France go on a good run of form Six Nations, like Ségamina and Tama Dupont, a few of those guys by as well. I think it could be a case of uh, hitting the ground running, and I think to lose are a different animal, particularly when the the pitches do dry up. You know they do have that physicality up up front front five, but they do have pace out wide as well, and I think for the Bulls. I think that could be a very daunting trip, if I'm being brutally honest. But end of, uh, end of March, um, early April, uh, fixtures there. Who knows what might entail here after, as I said, a very traditional Six Nations tournament. I suppose we can talk about Munster or Benetton a little bit of a quick preview, because our squad depth charts will be fairly tested. And we thought that with Munster. But if you look at Benetton Rugby, they've won seven of their eight home fixtures in the URC, but they have 15 players that have been selected for the Italian Six Nations campaign. So, again, it's going to be an awful lot of squad that players here really taking part on Saturday. I suppose, what's your initial impressions here from Munster Rugby perspective? Who do you think we might see feature and do you give Munster a good chance of beating Benetton given the personnel changes that Treviso will have to uh, contend with?
1: Finney Witcherly, I understand, is coming back. So, I think we could see certainly him coming off the bench at some stage, getting back into monster um, play. I suppose the key thing is, is is out half. What's going to happen there? I think we'll have Ben Healy maybe for the, the final time for quite a, a time uh, against Benetton, and obviously we'll have Joey there as well. It'll be interesting to see who will actually take kicks if those two guys are available. I I think that the fact is that Benetton are, are likely losing fifteen players to Italy to have the depth chart to keep their excellent run going. So I, I think that we will get three in our crucial victory, keep our season going. And I think come the end of the six nations, it's it's looking that Munster will be right up the table.
0: Yeah, because I think it's a key fixture here. I mean, you look at the state of play going in here, Benetton are currently sat in sixth place on the table on 33 points. Munster right behind them at 7th on 32. Again, a win for Munster proposed them up the table, uh, which is a key one for them. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think for Benetton Rugby, I think the, this time of year really does test out the depth chart particularly. Now, depth chart-wise, from Benetton Rugby, I think they still have plenty of foreign players in the mix that may be eager to get some game time. But I think, to be brutally honest with you here, there's an awful lot of fluctuations here, particularly in the third, fourth quarter. I think Munster, not too impacted. I think there was eight players selected at Six Nations duty.
1: I suppose if I can add that that John Ryan's final game for, for Munster, crucial as well. Exactly. So
0: he will be getting game time as well. So I know indication is Keenan Knox is near enough to return, but maybe this comes a little bit too soon for him. But I would expect Harvey to definitely slot in a 10. I think he needs the reps. I think he needs game minutes to kind of build the confidence, build the form guide back up again. And uh, hopefully now with a good dominant pack in front of him, he can really kind of uh, showcase his skill set. You know, he's not a bad player overnight. So I think the key decision here would be on full back here, uh, Liam, given that Mike Haley is going for an ankle surgery scan this week that looked pretty severe. And given the form of Healy, I suppose who would you slot in at fifteen? Uh, given the personnel
1: that we have uh, for this weekend, who I slot in? Yeah, it's, it's it's a good question, isn't it? Um, you would probably do something like put Carberry potentially to fifteen realistically, and put Healy um at ten. It, it kind of I know it's a mad thing to say, but it kind of makes uh makes sense at the moment if I can say that.
0: Yeah, I suppose you have Daly Shane Daly as well at fifteen. You probably have Nash probably. Outside chance of 15, but I suppose Daly or Carbery probably depicts probably the there. You do want solid you know, experience going away from home. And as I said, regardless of a team that's out, Benetton are building a fortress in Treviso. The fact that in eight home games, like the last home game in the URC, they turned over Ulster. Now, granted, fully stacked side. But I mean, it does show um, that this is a club on the up, uh, that their home form is very strong this year. So I think Munster have to come in here and deliver a good performance. But again, it's it's that Six Nations window here. Cohesion is not going to be right here for either side for good stretches. So it's just who's the team that's going to be the best to execute at given times here. So if this was a, a Benetton rugby team fully stacked, I would be a little bit nervous for Munster rugby travelling over there. But I think, yeah, I think given the results here, given the magnitude of the result, if the result can go Munster's way, I think it's a key one here from a playoff push perspective, because then you have the homestand, you have the Ospreys, you have the Scarlets, and you have Glasgow Warriors, before you turn into the South African leg of the URC with the trips to the Stormers and also the Sharks. So I think from that perspective, this is one for Munster, probably to win here. If it's a bonus point, that would be beautiful, but I think to be fair, just get the win and then move on. I suppose, Liam, uh, if you're still there, uh, Ireland, Six Nations squad, announced last week uh, what we your Impressions there. Uh, who are the winners? Who are the losers?
1: Well, the big winner was definitely young Jamie Osborne, who's come from absolutely nowhere. You know, at the start of the season. I, to be honest, I, I didn't think that anyone who didn't feature in in the autumn internationals that there would be no more debuts for any Irish new Irish players. But look, it's fully deserved for him. So I think he's definitely um one of those players in terms of kind of. Query and surprising selections, I would have to say Keith Earls, who pretty much now is not even in Munsters. First choice, 15. That's just a fact of the matter. And um, J- Jacob Stockdale, who kind of whose form had fallen off a cliff. Those guys, I'm, I'm quite surprised with, with those two guys.
0: I think there was winners. There were definitely losers in this. I mean, Osborne, you've basically said, received his first senior call-up. I think we've we're big fans of his in terms of his performance. But he's gonna elevate his game. He has half to elevate his game more. This is Test match rugby now. This is up another notch. So I think it'll be interesting just to see where he fits into Andy Farrell's team selections here, because he's obviously going to get game minutes given what we've discussed earlier in terms of maybe inactivity of certain guys in three quarters that were selected. Gavin Coombs coming back in as well, I think it was a huge one. You know, given the November international series. Coombs was dropped probably got the kick up the butt behind here, and his performances have really reflected a guy with plenty to prove. So I think from that perspective, very well, you know, earned. I suppose Jack Crowley as well, retaining his squad birth. But as I said, I heard it was a Bernard Jackman about credit in the bank, and I think a few of these, you know, like Bundy, Connor Murray, I would say Keith Earls as well. There's um, guys here there for experience, yes. But I suppose question for me here, Liam, is, are we going to see any of these three guys going to feature in this Ireland 15 for the crunch games? I mean, Wales in Principality Stadium, I'd expect probably the strongest 23-man squad going. But, I mean, like Bundy, Connor, Murray and also Keith Hurts have played precious little uh, this season, really. I suppose um, selections there that are questionable. But, I mean, will they get any game time here for Andy Farrell?
1: Well, look, I suppose of those, of those the most obvious one would will be, will be Murray. For sure, you know, as a kind of an off the bench option. In the physicality of the Six Nations, that might be something that, that's quite appealing to Andy Farrell. But look, as for Aunt Bundy Aki and, and and Keith Earls, I honestly can't see them featured at all, you know, <laughs> uh, um in the Six Nations. That's why I'm I'm just kind of struggling to um figure out how they got in. If we're talking about form, right? We're talking about form, and yet then on form, Joey Carberry didn't get in. So, again, it's just a, a kind of a, a trying to, f- to find that logic from Andy Farrell at this stage.
0: It was just the inconsistency yeah. of it, Liam, for me. You know, certain guys were rewarded for their form, and then you heard about certain guys coming in because of their experience, which sets maybe de- dangerous precedents a little bit in terms of squad selection and people knowing where their place is. So... Again, for people looking on the outside, I suppose hopefully candid feedback was probably received to those guys to see where they can improve to get into the squad. But yeah, it's interesting. I thought it was an interesting squad selection. It probably opens up Andy Farrell here to a little bit of criticism here if things don't go correctly for Ireland. I mean, that Welsh game in the Principality Stadium, you think about it, the return of Warren Gatland. And Osprey's side that are revitalised have done well in Europe. I think it's a prime booby trap here for Ireland. And a loss there, heaven forbid, Andy Farrell and Ireland are a little bit under pressure. And the main maybe squad selection is then basically pinpointed as one of those reasons.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, mean, they don't come much harder to start than going to the Principality Stadium. Um, And and Wales will always try and, and get on the run from the very beginning at home. I also, I suppose, look. i I want to see Joe McCarthy. That that's that's something I'm intrigued to see. Will he be given a lot of game time? Because I I have uh, great hopes for him. And look, I mean, you alluded to Gavin Coombs. To me, he is the bench option in terms of that kind of back role, right? Yeah. He just has to be. He just has to be, even ahead of uh, Jack Jack Conan. And yeah, again, we come we come down to uh, in particular for me. The, the prop situation where we have the likes of Healy on one side and and, and Kilcoyne. I mean I mean is that is that all we left with and on the other side we again we have Tom O'Toole it's kind of you know hard to see um, him getting much game time either. I
0: think we need to see Tom O'Toole play lean, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I think the fitness issues of Tyke Furlong here is really suggesting to me that our tight-head situation has to be seriously evaluated now. I don't think Tyke Furlong, given scheduling here for the World Cup 2023, is going to be able to play every game. So there needs to be an evaluation in terms of tight-head as a matter of urgency. Tom O'Toole has been there, thereabouts, in terms of his squad selection. But we've seen very precious little of him. I would hope that we could see him against Italy or see him against one of the other teams here to really kind of see what he's like. Does he have test match credentials here? Because my fear here, Liam, and I think your fear as well, is heaven forbid and reporter and Furlong were to go down from injury. We're really looking at squad debt issues here in the prop situation. Now, Keen Healy, we know, is a proven operator. Dave Kilcoyne as well. But even from a loose side perspective, I think it's a little bit of a, an alarm bell situation that there doesn't seem to be much in terms of new blood coming through that rank. And also tight head as well. I think we need to really seriously evaluate our options here. But again, time is running out. You, you would hope that these depth chart questions would have been closed out long ago.
1: Yeah, you, you certainly would. And again, I mean, look for me, Marty Moore was to my mind probably yeah. at least a choice tight head for Ireland, you know. Um, in terms of his, his scrummaging ability. So, yeah, I mean, look, we, we in Ireland, I think a lot of us, to be honest at this age, want to experiment in the Six Nations. Um, but for the IRFU, it's such a cash cow, it simply, they, they simply won't allow that read to happen apart from the Italian game. I mean, we even have to look at Hugh Keenan, you know. I mean, yeah, he, he, he's the 15, but the point is, who do we have as backup? For you and I, think
0: that's where you, I think that's where you're seeing Mac Hanson being slotted to 15. I think there's been a bit of an experiment here from Connacht Rugby to see Mac Hanson at 15. And to be fair to Mac Hanson, he is acquitting himself very well there. Now Test match rugby is a completely different beast. So, um, I mean, you'd have him. Jimmy O'Brien could slot in at 15 as well. Now Jacob Stockdale only coming back into the squad, I'd say would prefer to be on the wing, if at all possible probably would probably get the teeth and go back to fullback if need be. So I think we do have options there, Liam, particularly at that fullback position, but maybe not tested. I mean, Keith could go back at fullback as well. So there is some versatility there, particularly in the outside backs here, uh, to certainly um, stake a claim. But um, I suppose the big story was in terms of the Carbrio omission here, uh, Liam. Do you feel that was warranted, just given form lines at the moment? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I I I think I think so. If you if you look at line true form, I mean you have Sexton obviously there, and and then you have Jack Crowley, and yeah, Emmett Byrne. Like I suppose up to last weekend, ironically, <laughs> and the game against Rassi up to and he showed great form, both from his his kicking and his uh, general play. And um, I suppose the thing is too though, which is intriguing for me, is that Jack Crowley is playing twelve for Munster and has pretty much played all season. He isn't getting in, in terms of on form, in terms of he's on good form at 12, but he has obviously shown no form at at 10. That's that's intriguing to me too. But look, yeah, I I think Joey's form is just, he's a confidence player in particular, and his goal kicking is also kind of coming hard a bit.
0: I think Carberry still has an outside chance. I still think he has a good chance of uh, World Cup 2023 squad inclusion. I think it's just now he can use the inspiration of, of Gavin Coombs here a little bit to kind of provide that as motivation to say, look, if he produces the performances, he's regularly kind of a high achiever in terms of all the feedback that he's been received apparently by Dan B. Farrell that he will be given opportunities here. And I think it is a big opportunity here for Rossburn and Jack Crowley to really stake a claim here. So, I think from that perspective, I think for Carberry, it's just I would hope that he gets significant game time against Benetton Rugby, delivers a great performance. Then we have a few home games coming up, and he delivers a run of form. And it is a fascinating point that you make here, Liam, in terms of uh, Carberry, uh, in terms of playing 10, Crowley's been playing 12 and 15. But when the business end of the games have happened in the third quarter, Carberry basically gets substituted, Crowley in a 10. It's it's, it's a strange one here, uh, to be honest, because I think a decision will have to be made here in terms of Crowley. If Crowley's aspirations is to be a 10 here, where does that leave Joey Carberry? And I thought that was maybe one for after the World Cup 2023. But if things are not too careful here, Carberry could be the one here maybe kind of looking to be accommodated in a full-back slot where I know Carberry is probably look he's a 10. You know he wants to be 10 so i think that's going to be an intriguing watch here lane i suppose the ulster rugby representation here on the squad for me was a surprise i think an awful lot in terms of fluctuating form lines heading into this i felt sorry a bit for nick timoney given how competitive that back row unit is that squad he was the guy to lose out uh with gavin coombs coming in but the likes of the like mike lowry i think james hume as well probably is probably asking a few questions in terms of the omission there, given that Bundy is basically in with minimal game time. So I think from an Ulster rugby perspective, plenty of guys here that have plenty of motivation now to produce performances for Ulster, get on the front foot and get in the radar of Andy Farrell again.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I suppose um, it's, it's it's going to be intriguing to see the, the second row battle as well with um, Henderson back in there as well um will will he be a bench option or will he start and I, I in terms of the centres um again you know you have McCluskey yuvaki, you have the two Linster pairing as well so um uh, yeah I think that certainly Osborne and Ringrose will, will certainly come through there.
0: Exactly, because I'd wonder what Wales, in terms of Kieran Williams, the Ospreys, three quarters. You know, he's been lighting it up for the Welsh region this season. Will he come in? If that is the case, then you know Osborne. You know, selection could be coming in, following suit. So I think you might see a little bit of um, exciting prospects there in that three quarters for both teams in the principality. And I suppose going back to the title head situation here, uh, Liam, for sure. I mean. We didn't mention Finley Beelam here. I think Beelham needs game time as well because his form for Connacht has been outstanding this year. You know, the hat-trick for Newcastle Falcons, I think he's been a very prominent performer and he hasn't let the side down for Ireland in November International Series. So I would hope that he gets starting minutes even though Furlong might be fit and ready to go. I think we need to be not overly dependent on Furlong. I think we know what Furlong brings. He's a world-class prop. But I think we also need to know what's behind us here. And I think Beelham... Definitely, but Tom O'Toole definitely, I think, needs to be an evaluation needs to be made here in terms of who are our three head props. I think we know one and two, but I think definitely our third depth chart here uh, has to be clarified. And I think it's across the board, I would say here, Liam, in terms of loose head, uh, hooker and tight head here. Uh, just in terms of that's just the only vulnerability I could see here in terms of the pack here. Um, And hopefully we could answer a few questions in one or two of these fixtures uh, in the in the tournament coming up
1: I, and of course mark i mean what I've, I've actually come to conclusion of is porter going across to said was not a good decision hmm. in the sense of he was the guy he was the bit the bench impact at um tight i mean tight is a position also where you know we were a bit more well stacked and it looks to me anyway that um we talked about planning, <laughs> that uh, it didn't quite go that way.
0: Yeah, although there was a need there as well at loose head, you know, with Keane Healy, absolutely unbelievable serving. and he's still in the squad. But again, I think there was probably a single point of failure, particularly in that unit. Now you have Dave Kilcoyne coming back in, which is great to see. Jeremy Lockman obviously is in the depth chart as well. But I think there was probably a, an ask here, or probably a need to get Porter to come over. Again, it's between himself and Furlong. Furlong starting all day long in terms of tight, pred, tight head and a prominent game. So, again, Porter and his physicality needed to be used. And, again, it's just that, yeah, I would be a little bit careful with Porter. now. I'd be interested to see his performances in the tournament, particularly from a scrummaging perspective, because officials have seemed to kind of pick on him there in recent weeks. So I think it'll be a very interesting watch there for Porter. But I think that decision had to be made, but <laughs> I wasn't... I think the IRFU Andy Farrell would have expected other talent to be coming through particularly in a tight head prop situation but it hasn't materialized here I think Marty Moore is probably the one for you wasn't it but again he's out with a lengthy in- injury here now as well and maybe it's something to focus in on for the IRFU post 2023 that we do need kind of a good kind of uh, talent pool in the prop situation
1: and look if, if if it was me in a world cup right in the in, in, in the knockout stages and if the if long something happened to him or it just had to go off. To be honest with you, I put Porter across to tight edge and I bring on another loose head prop. That's what I would do. Yeah. Um, and like I didn't probably bring Healy on. You know? that's, that's personally what I would do.
0: Exactly. But I think it's a glorious opportunity for Dave Kilcoyne here really to stake a claim, you know, particularly in training sessions starting this week uh, with Ireland to see if he can even get ahead of Keane Healy. But, I mean, we know what Keane Healy brings to the table brings experience, it brings an awful lot of you know, experience to that position, but it'd be great to see Dave Kilcoyne you know, there's Jeremy Lockman there as well to really do kind of get into that you know, have a solidified, as you say, for worst case scenarios, because the World Cup 2023 the scheduling will be aggressive, once we get out of pool stages here, there will be crunch games South Africa, Scotland, yes yeah. get out of that, the games are going to go taken fast, you're not going to be sure. starting the same same front five yeah, yeah. from a quarterfinal semi-final, you're not. So, again, this is where we were being exposed in previous World Cups. and I'd just hate to see us making the same mistake again here, Liam, to be fair. Yeah, uh,
1: and, and look, look, I mean, there will be no excuses. We, we, we have, we have uh, six nations, and we, we likely have, it hasn't been announced yet, we probably have three or four uh, pre-World Cup games as well. So there, there is still plenty of games to go.
0: Oh, certainly is. I know Scotland announced a four-game pre-warm-up World Cup-friendly fixture schedule. So I think from their perspective, they want to hit the ground running quickly. It'll be interesting to see how Ben Healy integrates into that Scottish squad as well. You know, that's probably for another week, probably next week in our podcast here, Liam. But uh, I suppose kind of um, looking ahead, um, you know, for the URC action here, is there any kind of uh, key games here that you're kind of looking at? Um, I'm kind of looking at fixtures here. Um, Scarlet Three Bulls, The Stormers travelling to Kingspan, looks a tasty one on Friday night. Benetton Munster, Dragons, Glasgow Warriors, a bit of a rehearsal the Challenge Cup, uh, last 16. Leinster entertain Carnac rugby, Edinburgh Sharks, we've already talked about Connacht and Lions, and the Zebries and Ospreys uh, doing battle on the Sunday, the 29th of uh, January. I suppose anything there, Lee,
1: both you there, but you know, to be fair, uh, Edinburgh uh, Sharks. You know, certainly I suppose look at Edinburgh with our full strength, that would have been an, that would be an absolute cracking game. I still think Edinburgh. You know, they still have their two um, Argentinian stars as well there, um, and so that would be quite intriguing for me. I suppose look, the, the most obvious one would be, would be um, Ulster at home to the Stormers. Stormers are still high flying in the table, but this is a chance like us again against the Benetton, I mean, this is a chance for Ulster to get away win against the Stormers and leapfrog them and try and, and get a second position to, to Leinster, who are inevitably going to top the table. So this is a glorious opportunity for Ulster. They probably won't be as affected, you know, they're not as affected, say, a, as, as Leinster, so they will still put out a very good team against Stormers.
0: Uh, I would think so too. As we said, like the Mike Lowrys, the James Humes, the Eaton McIlroy's guys like that will be playing um certainly against the Stormers now it remains to be seen what sort of team the Stormers will provide in the Kingspan yeah. but seeing as there's no real kind of scheduling issues here I think they'll probably go all out here uh Liam, because I'm thinking the same for the Sharks I'd imagine the Sharks stayed in the United Kingdom this week being in the stoop so an awful lot of their yeah. frontline guys will be playing against Edinburgh uh, on Saturday night so I think from that perspective, it's a fascinating watch. Uh, I think uh, from let's say a Leinster or Cardiff rugby perspective, I'd be just fa- very fascinated to see work hard are in terms of their form line. They've had a very dodgy patch, and you don't want to be going to the RDS looking to rediscover form, but they're going to have to come up with some sort of performance because Leinster here are on a roll, and they, you know I think that's an intriguing one for me just to see work hard of rugby are. Because if they're not on it, then their playoff aspirations... I think this could be a key weekend for Munster Rugby as well, as well as Ulster Rugby. A win here, I can see a few losses for for teams in and around Munster and Ulster to open up a bit of daylight here. You could see maybe consolidation of playoff places in the next week or two of the rounds of URC here for these two teams. So I think all evenly poised here, Liam, to be fair.
1: But these are the crucial games, you know, I mean, because come the end of Six Nations, effectively teams are going to have only two or three games left in the league. So I I think you, you'll see Munster shooting up the table, which basically we want. Um, the South Africans are going to also be very high up the table because they have no effect of the Six Nations. Yeah, again, as we point out, Ulster have a glorious chance the next few weeks of also going up the table.
0: Exactly, because effectively with Six Nations tournament out of the equation, you've only three fixtures left. And you have three fixtures now that are going to be built in here, which is really going to test the squad depth. So these are going to be the minute games that are going to really decide in terms of your top eight, who wins conferences, that sort of thing. So I think, uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, opportunity knocks for whoever can get wins here in the next uh, few weeks to really kind of soar up the table. I suppose we can leave it there. It's been a lengthy one, but I think well required, just given all the topics that we need to discuss tonight, next week, obviously, Six Nations review. We'll run the rule over the Six Nations uh, taking parts. Uh, see who's the players to watch out for, and maybe get a few predictions from you here as Liam Le- as well, in terms of champions and who's the wooden spoon recipients. But I suppose until next week, Liam, uh, many thanks. Have a good weekend, and we'll chat next week. Okay, thanks so much for, for uh, the show, Mark. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon spotify youtube or twitter platforms you can also follow me at hawkeye psychic on facebook and twitter for the latest sporting opinions
1: articles and reports